Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. Rhythm of Advent this last four weeks. Um, Advent is a part of the church calendar that um, churches can follow and they are followed throughout history and all around the world in a number of different denominations. And we love the, the rhythm of Advent. It gives us this opportunity in the four weeks leading up to Christmas for us to re-anchor ourselves and to reorient our hearts and our minds and our imagination on Jesus, which is what this is all about, right? And so over the last few weeks, every week on a Sunday, we light a candle. And each week that candle represents something of God and what he brings to our lives. Hope, peace, joy, and today is love. And so we, um, we've actually created some resources for you. It might be something that you want to think about building into your Christmas traditions. Um, we've run out of these little booklets, but the PDF for those are available to download on our website in the resources section. So if that's something you'd like to know, like what is this Advent thing all about anyway, um, you can have a look there. And then we do a short reflection. We have done these each week. If you didn't receive these when you arrived, there'll be some on the info table that you can grab. And just sometimes in the week, you might want to just have a read. It has a short piece of scripture, some questions to think about, some prayer that you can engage with, and things you could do with your kids and um, families. So today, today we're looking at love. And you're kind of like, oh, you know, if you've been in church for longer than five minutes, it's like, well, I might have heard the odd message about love. I, we saw our, um, my parents-in-law yesterday. We had a big family um, celebration for someone's 60th wedding anniversary. It's quite good, isn't it? But my in-laws actually had their 62nd wedding anniversary yesterday. They win. But um, they were asking what it was I was speaking about today, and I said, I'm talking about love. And they were like, oh, love. I mean, because they've grown up in the church. And I'm like, yep, I'm banging on about love. And I'm not apologizing. So we're going to light these candles. So the different ones that we've had in previous weeks is hope, joy. I might have these in the wrong order. I think I do. Peace. And today, love. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to write, light that one in the middle. And that's called the Christ candle. And so why don't we just take a moment. And the candles, aren't, they don't do anything. They're just visual reminders. They're cues for us to go, oh, that's right. This is a season of hope. It's a season where we can experience God's peace and his joy and his love. And that's what we're going to lean into today. Rich Velotis, uh, who was a pastor based in Brooklyn in New York, he wrote a book earlier this year called The Deeply Formed Life. And he made this comment, there is never a moment when God isn't moving toward the world in love. He is always moving towards the world, towards us in love. And that's the backdrop of what we're going to look into this morning that God, through Jesus, offers us a life that can be lived with him. <clears throat> I sang too much. <clears throat> Went a bit hard in the carols. Sorry. It's a life that does offer all of those things, that we do life with him. Whatever it is that's going on in our lives, we have this opportunity to do it with him. That is where our hope, our joy, our peace, 
and the security of love comes from. It's from him. So today, I'm inviting you to draw near. Even if you're sitting at the back, even if you're online, draw near. Turn your heart again and reflect on the things that God has done and that he continues to do in you, through you, around the world, that we're a part of this enormous story and this family that he is alive and active in and through. And we're motivated and filled with love. Do you know, I googled up how many songs have been written about love. Because it's quite a popular theme, isn't it? Do you know how long it took for me to get a response? In under a second, it told me that there were 449 million songs written about love. They're not all good, to be fair. Um, however, don't you have some of those like, popular refrains run through your mind when you think about love? You know, the Beatles? Love is all we need. You know, it must be love, love, love. I mean, you just kind of, you know, there you go. Whitney Houston, top love song of all time, apparently, is Whitney Houston's... <clears throat> no, I don't know about... <laughs> You know, I'm brave, but I, you know, Whitney, it's a whole new level, isn't it? Oh, I will always love you. I will always love you. <laughs> I'm sure if I hadn't sung so much earlier, it would have been a different story. Um, but, you know, like, we've, we, are, we are made by love. We are made for love. We have this longing for love, don't we? And it's because we're made in the image of God. And so that's why we're prolific in writing poetry and songs, and you know, for those that are creative among us and the rest of us just enjoy that, because they express this longing and this heart that we have for love. We have been um, in this series that we're currently in, that this is part four of, we're looking at Christmas being more than a song, because we sing a whole lot of songs at Christmas time, don't we? Like all of our carols, uh, but, the, but Christmas is more than that. The songs that we sing are more than that. They express deeply, you know, held longings or prayers or desires or experience that we've had. So songs help us. There's, we've been using songs uh, every week. We've kind of had a song. Stanley and Rachel, uh, Matt, uh, have all kind of had these different songs that they've used over this last four weeks. And they have been a little more traditional, but I'm going for something slightly more modern. 2015, a worship leader called Chris Tomlin wrote a song called Noel, which I have to say makes me nearly cry every time, certainly get goosebumps. And this time last year, we recorded uh, our Christmas Eve service because we couldn't meet in person. And so we're actually going to just reflect back a moment and listen to our worship team lead us in this song. You don't have to sing, you can just watch and listen. But as you do, notice what it's saying because this is more than a song, okay? You guys all set, wonderful media people. Go. I've got to love say, it's so good. Love divine, star and angels gave the sign, bow to babe on The Savior of humanity Unto us a child is born He shall reign 
Oh, man. That's good, isn't it? We had asked our young people to, uh, on those bits of card, as they had reflected on their year last year, to consider what God had done for them. So that's what those flips were, is where they, what they'd experienced in the year and how God had turned things around for them. Isn't that cool? And that's what can happen for us, for all of us, can't it? Rich Biotis again, he says this, there are some who think that to always preach on the love of God is weak, that people will take advantage of that love. But that's a flimsy understanding of God's love. For God's love is the most powerful force in the universe to bring about change. Can any of us say yes to that? Yeah, tons of us, right? We have encountered the love of God for us and it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Our stories, our histories, our trajectory in the way forward, the legacies that we are creating for us and for our children and our families are all gently but radically transformed by the love of God. And it's incremental and it's slow and it's a I was going to say a little bit messy. It can get a lot messy along the way. It can feel like one step forward, five steps back sometimes. But we keep choosing to focus on the one who loves us. And I think this, this message has kind of been brewing in me for the last couple of months. I had, uh, I've been busy running like, and coordinating our events, so I haven't been in the preaching team for the last couple of months, but this is what has been brewing, is that I think God's invitation to us this Christmas is for us to encounter his love for us again, whether that's the first time or if it's the gazillionth time. I know that some of us have listened to Christmas messages and heard messages about in love you know, for decades, and it can almost, you know, we take it a little bit for granted sometimes. But please, Lord Jesus, would you come? And would you pour your spirit out upon us again? And would you take what is just words, but let them land? And will you do what you want to do in us, God, as we encounter your love for us again in a fresh and life-changing way today? That is what we long for, and that is what we pray for today. So come, Holy Spirit. Because seriously, this is just words. Except that I know that I have listened to words that have changed my life. And, and I'm looking, people are nodding, so I'm like, I'm in the room with the right people. Now listen, there is a story in Luke 15 that I think sums up this heart of love that God is. He is love. And Jesus was in the habit of just chatting to people and talking as they did life. That's one of the things you realize. Like when you read your Bible, it feels like everything kind of goes bang, 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 you know, thing after thing after thing. But then you, you stop and you realize, gosh, if they walked from there to there, that would have taken a week or more. It was dirty. It was dusty. They would have stopped. They slept somewhere. They ate food. They, you know, like they did all of that together. And as they did that, Jesus told stories and talk to them. And one of those stories, or a kind of a chunk of those stories, we can find in Luke 15. So if you've got your Bible on your phone, or like hard copy, it's a bit old school, isn't it? But if you've got a hard copy book, um, have a look in Luke 15. He tells these stories of lost things. There's a lost sheep that the shepherd leaves all of the other sheep to go and find. There's a lost coin where the whole house is turned upside down to find this one coin. And then there's the story of a lost son, and that's 
where we're going to land a little bit today. Because Jesus told these stories to help people to know who God is and what he's like. That God is the one who will leave everybody else to come and search for you. He is the one who will turn everything upside down to find you. He is the father of the story of the prodigal son. And that's the thing. Uh, It's often thought of uh, or referred to as the story of the prodigal son. What prodigal means, kind of not, anyone use that generally in their everyday conversations? Oh, I was just so prodigal about that. Prodigal means to use or to spend something extravagantly. We may have done that at Christmas, possibly. Um, But we spend or use what we have extravagantly, lavishly, wastefully. We give something away on a lavish scale. It's like over the top. That's prodigal. That is the father of the story. So that is why Jesus told the story. It's probably more the story of the father than it is even about the son. And there's actually two sons. So we're going to just revisit the story. And I'm, you can find it in Luke 15, 11 to 32, but I'm actually going to do a Jacinda rendition this morning because I want it to be personal. And as you listen, those of you who know the story, you'll, you'll hear all of the reference points that you know from Scripture. But I'm going to embellish a little Because Jesus told stories to engage people's imaginations and their hearts, not just their intellect. And so that's what I'm going to try and do this morning. But as you listen, just notice within your heart who it is, who do I identify with in the story? I have to say, oh no, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. But you might be one of the sons. You may be one of the extended family that would have watched all of this unfold. You may be one of the servants of the household. Let's see. Okay, there was a man who had two sons. He was a wealthy man. And one day, one of his sons came to him and said, I want my inheritance now. You know, I I don't want to be living at home anymore. I want, you know, the bright lights of the city are calling my name. I just want my freedom. I want to live life my way, but I need your money to go do it. So would you just please give me my inheritance now? Now, within the context of the culture that this story is being told, that is just utterly shocking. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't even do that with my parents now, today. But within Middle Eastern culture, that was just unheard of. That was telling your parent, I just want you to die because actually I just want your money. So would you just kind of get yourself out of my way? It was just so offensive, so dishonoring. Like everyone in the household would have been impacted by what that son chose to do, his attitude towards his father, basically saying, I just wish you were dead because I just want the money so I can go do what I want. Just so shocking. But even more amazingly is that that father does it. He gives them half of what he has. And we're told he's wealthy. He has fields, he has servants, he has a large home that we hear more about later on, but he gives it away. And he lets his son go. And so his, his son does. He gets the money, he, and he hits, hits, hits town. You know, heads to the city, does what he wants, lives how he wants, gets kind of caught up in all of the, you know, free living that can happen there. Anyone ever felt tempted by any of that within our culture? To live life my way. To do it my way. To have the freedom to just do whatever I want. However, oftentimes when we cast off all restraint, that is actually not so good for us. 
It does us harm, and that is exactly what happened to this young son. He spent all of his money on wine, women, and song, and ended up destitute, and totally at the end of his means and at the end of himself. And he gets so desperate that he goes and volunteers to work for somebody feeding their pigs. Now, if you were a Jew, you had nothing to do with pigs. They are unclean. It is culturally, you, you do, that is like the lowest thing you would ever do. You just, that and tax collecting probably, uh, not a good combo. You just don't do that. But he was that desperate. He'd, he'd run out of options. And as he's standing in this field, feeding these pigs, starving hungry himself, longing to eat the food of the pigs, except that there wasn't enough and he wasn't allowed to, he suddenly had this epiphany. Don't you find that sometimes we actually have to get there at the end of ourselves? Some of us have had to get to rock bottom before we realize, actually, I need help. And there is only one place for me to go. And that's what happened to this young man. He's standing there and he has this moment of clarity and he goes, oh my gosh, even the servants in my father's house gets treated better than this. They at least have three meals a day and have somewhere to sleep at night. I don't even have that. I know. I'll rehearse my going back, I'll go back to dad, and I'll plead forgiveness. You know, and he practiced actually. This is, this is, what he, this is how he practiced his return. He said, uh, I'll, I'll go back, he says, now, this is his, he's, as he's going back, he's rehearsing. Anyone ever apologize and you sort of do that whole rehearsal thing in your head? Because you're like, I really want to get this right because I really screwed up. This is him practicing. He says, you know, um, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, which he absolutely had. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so will you please make me like one of your hired servants? So this is, you can imagine, it's a bit of a walk home, and as he goes, he's hungry, he's filthy, he's smelly, and he's rehearsing his lines. The father, who is still some distance away, sees this tattered person on the horizon and then realizes, I recognize that walk. I think I, think I recognize that, you know, kind of build. I, I think that's my boy. And so what does he do? He lifts up his robes. I didn't, I should have worn a robe. Oh, lost moment. Anyway, lifts up his robes, because he, you know, like Middle Eastern, it's all robes. Lifts up his robes and sprints. He runs to meet his son. Here's another thing, culturally, fathers don't run and they don't lift their robes for anything or anyone. They are like the head of the family, the head of the household. It would, it's, just, it's just not a respectful thing to do. You don't, you don't do that. He's just casting aside all of the social norms and expectations of what he should do as, as the head of their home, as a patriarch, and just doesn't care overwhelmed by compassion, we are told in scripture, he goes running towards his son. And you can imagine the son going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, here he comes, here he comes. Okay, get my message going. Okay, I'm sorry, dad. I, you know, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you please let me just be one of your servants? You know, as he's like, oh, here he comes. I've got to, this is my moment. Dad doesn't even care, throws his arms around him, holds him near, doesn't even care about the filth and the smell and the fact that his son's going, but dad, I've got this whole thing, I'm trying to tell you. He said, don't worry, you're back. That's all I care about. I love you and your home. Quick, 
let's have a party. He swoops him into his arms, walks him back to the house. As he's doing so, he's calling all the servants. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> all the servants. That doesn't happen at my house. <clears throat> Did you hear the chuckle? <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, no, we won't. <laughs> I'm completely off track. Oh, the servants. There we go. He's calling the servants and he's like, get a robe for him. Get new sandals for his feet. Feed him, you know, go and kill the cow. We're going to have a party. We've got to celebrate. The son who I thought was dead has come home. He's alive. And this, all of those things, he's put a ring on his finger, he's put shoes on his feet, and he's put a robe over his shoulders. All of those are symbols of sonship, of family, of belonging. And this poor boy hasn't gotten to say it. He starts to say it. He actually only gets through two parts of it. He just says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And would you, um, what did he say? What's the next one? Oh, I don't deserve to be your son. That's as far as he got. And we don't know why he didn't get to the last part. Maybe he thought, actually, I'm not even worthy to be a servant. I'll just, I'll just see what happens. Or it could be that the father's welcome just shuts everything else down because he's just so overwhelmed with all of the rest of it. So they throw this huge party and this is amazing. And the young, can you imagine the young son? I mean, this is not what he pictured at all. I mean, he was thinking, I'm going to grovel my way in and come in the back door. And probably that's where I'll stay. And his father's just flipped this entire thing on its head because he is filled with compassion. He is filled with love for his son. Not quite so much his other son who has been out in the fields and uh, is coming back in and he sees there's this whole party going on and he's like, he calls one of the servants over, another servant, they have a few, and, uh, and he says, what's going on? And this servant says, well, your brother's home and your father has thrown this whole big party. We've got roast beef tonight or barbecue beef, whichever beef you like, but we've killed the cow. We've like, you know, everyone's here. Like, it's this, we've got a party going on. And the older brother is just gutted. He can't be happy for the fact that his brother's back and that his father is just kind of throwing this huge party for him because he just doesn't kind of get it. And so he, he just refuses to go in. He leaves. He doesn't go into the party. Now, here's the other thing. is the father notices that. He's not so caught up in the one child that he ignores the other. He isn't so, you know, caught up in all of the things that were going on that he doesn't make the effort to go and find, where's my other boy? So he leaves the party and once again breaks tradition and goes to find his other son. And he says, don't you understand? I thought my son was dead, but he's alive. Come celebrate. And his, you know, his, his older son had a whole complaint and and everything. He hadn't kind of got his head around the fact that by being faithful to his father, that everything that was his father's was already his. So God, you know, like God as a father, this, this, is, this is what this is all about, is helping us to understand God the father who is so wasteful, so lavish, so extravagant in his love for us, whether we feel like, yeah, I can identify with that boy that ran away, or I can identify with that older brother who feels like he's been trying to do all of the right things all of that time, but hasn't quite grasped that everything that is my father's is already mine. It's not about earning it. I'm just his because I'm his. 
It's mine. How do we wrap our heads around that kind of God? How do we respond to that sort of love? Whether we feel, you know, wherever we feel like we identify within that story, it can force us to rethink our image of God. All of us have an image of God. And it's often shaped and formed by the different people that we encounter in our lives that show us what love can look like for good or for ill. But for many of us, like I've talked to a lot of different people, either as a pastor or as a spiritual director, and, and people will often talk to me about their expectation of God is almost like, um, I had someone recently describe it as like, well, he's you know in the office, busy, working, and I, if, I, I just don't want to bother him. You know, like I maybe could just stick my head around the corner and go, um, excuse me, you know, just uh, one quick thing. But doesn't, it's not someone I can be near to. You know, or people that have described how it feels like God's just waiting to be angry. We watched a movie the other night. What was that one? It was about Moses. It was, um, I can't remember how old it was. Huh? Exodus. And, um, and in it, they had this, their interpretation of who God was when he encountered Mo, uh, Moses. And he was this petulant, grumpy, really not pleasant person. And I'm like, gosh, if that's who people think God is, there, there was like no love, no warmth, no drawing near, no nothing. It was just like waiting to like kind of, uh, you're not doing things right. A lot of us have had those kinds of things frame our expectations of who God is. And that is why Jesus tells these kinds of stories, is to help us to realize, oh my gosh, God's like the prodigal father. He's the one who sees us from a distance and will run. He doesn't just hold himself back. He runs. He lifts up his cloak and runs towards us because he loves us and he is filled with compassion for us. Do you hear that today for you? I don't care if you've heard, the, heard this story like a gazillion times, but for today, will you hear that God is the one who wants to draw near to you today, to throw his arms around you today, and to whisper in your ear and let sink into your heart, I love you. I love you. Um, randomly, very quickly, I just saw the time. Oh. This last, uh, a week ago, uh, our daughter who lives in London met the king, as you do, uh, but random. Her experience of meeting the king uh, was very good. Like she actually, she's not a royalist at all, but um, it went very well. And she was actually really impressed with him, the way that he was with people and all that kind of thing. But it's the complete opposite of what God's like. Um, they knew six weeks out that he was going to be coming to their Advent service and to meet their team and different people that they do um, partner with and do a whole lot of things in their community. Uh, so they knew about that. They all had to be vetted by security as to whether or not they could be there. <clears throat> before the day, so they weren't allowed to tell anybody, so she couldn't even tell her husband until either the night before or the morning of that it was happening. Um, and they got um, protocol. You know, she had to learn how to curtsy. And, uh, and when you first meet the king, here's a trivia for you, um, when you first meet him, you have to say something along the lines of, you know, lovely to meet you, your majesty. And then from that point on, you can refer to him as sir. It's all very formal. Although, in actual fact, she ended up uh, 
a media shot of her and the king actually having a bit of banter as she's leaving, as he was leaving, and um, which ended up on the royal family Instagram story and all kinds of stuff, because it was this beautiful photo of them actually having a laugh together, which kind of broke through all the, it didn't look formal at all, and he just, uh, he just looked like he was having a really good time uh, chatting to my daughter. <laughs> and let's be fair, she's awesome. So, you know, I can see why he was having a good day. Um, but, I, but it just struck me that it's the complete opposite of what God's like. He doesn't vet us. There's no security measures. There's no holding us at a distance. There's no, you know, it's nice to meet you, Majesty, you know, moment. He comes right near, really close, if we will let him. He's very kind. He doesn't force himself on us, but he will draw near to us if we let him. Um, Dallas Willard said this, we must understand that God doesn't love us without liking us. You know, because we kind of feel like, well, God's love. Oh, he has to love us, kind of, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really know me. Probably doesn't like a lot about me, but that's not the case. He doesn't love us without liking us, through, not, not through gritted teeth, as Christian lovers sometimes thought to do, rather out of this eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly father cherishes the earth and each human being upon it. The fondness, listen to this, it's just beautiful. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God toward all of his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is to the core which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. He holds us in such great affectionate regard. God made the first move towards us. You know, do you remember when you were, um, for those of us who are married or dating, you know, when you first start, you know, that whole getting to know each other thing, and you go out on a few dates and there's that tension in the air. Will he say, I love you first, or shall I? Which one of us is it going to be? And, you know, you kind of dance around that for a little while, and then one day someone plucks up the courage and goes, Matt, I love you. <laughs> I remember the day he told me that for the first time. Still, over 30-something years later. Changes your life, doesn't it? It was like that with God. So happy tears. Happy tears. <laughs> Absolutely happy tears. 32 years of just wedded bliss. <coughs> Every moment. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell the truth, aren't I? Um, <clears throat> but, you know, in 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And honestly, I am undone. Every time I consider that, he loves us deeply, wholly, fully, overwhelmingly. Each one of us, he holds with such affectionate regard. Can the worship team come up? <clears throat> How do we respond to that kind of a God? To that kind of love? to believe in the deepest part of ourselves that God likes us. That he likes us, that he loves us, that he cherishes us, that he really, really, truly does love us the way that we long to be loved. That we are a treasure to him. 
one that he cherishes and that he holds dear and that he gave up everything for. How do we respond to that kind of love? We say yes, and we keep saying yes. Even if we don't have this all figured out, even if we're still a bit messy, we say yes to him. We let him come close. We let him into our lives. If you've never done that, and today you're here feeling like and your heart is racing and you're like, oh my gosh, like there's something to this. That is the Holy Spirit that is helping you to experience the love of God this morning. And all you have to do is say yes to him. But we keep saying yes, don't we? For those of us who've been doing this a little while, we, keep, we never stop. We keep saying yes. We let him come close. And we choose to trust this God who is love personified and we follow his lead as he continues to work in us and through us, bit by bit, incrementally transforming our lives through the power of his love. That is how we can respond this Christmas. I know that this time of the year is madness. Nearly everyone I'm talking to, especially people with kids, oh my gosh, I've got to say, I'm not missing the school years. You're like hanging on by your fingernails, aren't you? Just to make it through that, you know, Christmas, we've got one more week. We're nearly there. All the end of year stuff that's going on. Just hang on a little bit longer. Am I still breathing? Yes. Am I still upright? Yes. Where is God in all of that? Because he is. He is there. He's with you. But we just don't always notice him, do we? So as you, over this next week, over the weeks to come when you're on holiday... Look back over your year. Look for those moments of where you've experienced God's love, you've seen his care and compassion towards you. Even in the midst of your grief, I know at the moment this is the time of the year that can actually be really painful for those of us who have lost people that we love or we're far away from them. We've got family living on the other side of the world or I know that some of our Coast Vineyard people have just had family members die in this last week or two. This is not always an easy time of the year, and yet God is present with his love in the midst of it all. So I just want to encourage you, we're not going to do a big thing today, but, but just as we go into this space, where we are going to have more spaciousness in our lives in the coming weeks, aren't we? Let's just take some time to just remember, to reflect and to look for where God has been for you this year. But why don't we pray and worship together? Would you stand? We're going to um, just sing together. Just give me one moment. Just a quick planning session. Um, so why don't we just pause a moment. The kids are going to join us in a minute. They can join in with the singing as well. But Father, we just want to come again, longing for the touch of your love, because that is what animates our lives. It's what empowers our lives. It's what pulls us forward. It's what fills us and enables us to be able to love others. So Lord, we pray that you would come and that you'd pour your spirit out upon us and you would fill us with your love again. in us, Lord. Do that work in us and then through us into our community, into our families, into the places that we go for our holidays, God, that we would be people 
marked by your love, known for love, because we know what it is to be loved. So I pray that you would anchor that in each of us. Let it settle deeply within us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna worship together because what else could we do when we encounter the love of God other than pour out our hearts to him? So let's follow the lead of our worship team. Thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whanau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in-person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day. Be blessed.